but you got to look towards long-term and up and to the right and, and have that longer term view. And, and as long as you're really driven by the long-term vision, then I think the, the rest, you know, hopefully should take care of itself. Welcome to the Irresistible Factor, the podcast for brands in the health and wellness space who want to be irresistible, not only to consumers, but to investors and retailers. Here we talk to successful entrepreneurs about the inspiring stories that help them start and grow their awesome brands. And we also talk to investors, leaders in private equity, and retail buyers about what makes brands irresistible to them. Hi, everyone. Thank you for joining us for another episode of The Irresistible Factor. Today, I have the real pleasure of speaking with Dana Ehrlich, who is the founder and CEO of Verde. I mean, Verde is the leading provider of USDA-certified organic, 100% grass-fed and grass-finished beef. Um, in grocery, retail, and club and food service in the U.S. So um, thank you, Dana, for joining us. I'm really excited to talk to you and hear what um, the story is behind your brand, which I know a little bit about, and I'm, I'm sure that my listeners are going to be really interested to hear it. So welcome, and thank you for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah. So can you give me a little bit, um, just a background for our listeners about Verde and how you got started? Sure. So let me start with Verde. So uh, as you mentioned, we've become the leading brand of organic grass-fed, grass-finished beef across the U.S. It's been a a 16-year journey to get here that started in the the Pampas of Argentina and outside of Buenos Aires. And I was on an exchange program while I was at business school and spent a semester in Argentina. And I was interested in entrepreneurship and what really went down to both improve my Spanish and start something related to adventure travel and ended up mm-hmm. eating a tremendous amount of beef, which I later found out was grass-fed, grass-finished beef. And we can go into the details, but thought it was a, a great product with a great story about how the, the cattle were raised. And when I came back to the U.S., couldn't find anything like it. And this was back in 2004, 2005 and decided to start a company around that premise. Before we get into it, can you talk about what grass-finished means? I know what grass-fed is, but I don't think I know what grass-finished is. Absolutely. So it's interesting because there are so many different, what we call attributes uh, that describe the beef. And I think for even people in the industry, it's challenging. For the everyday consumer, it's almost impossible unless you really grew up on, on a farm. And so most cattle, are born and raised out on pasture, uh, but in the U.S., they're then moved onto feedlots where they're confined, typically fed antibiotics and planted with growth hormones and finished on different grains like corn uh, and what have you. In our supply chain, the cattle are out on pasture for their entire lives, and they start on grass and are finished on grass. And we're on the, the extreme, the top right, where almost everything we do is also organic. And so the pastures have never been sprayed with artificial uh, pesticides or fertilizers. And we have certain levels of care as well. And then there's everything in between where you could be called grass-fed, but it could be grass-fed pellets that are fed to animals in a feedlot situation. So just because it says grass-fed doesn't mean it's grass-fed, grass-finished, pasture-raised, or organic. Wow. So that's pretty eye-opening because I think you hear grass-fed and you make a lot of assumptions. 
And I definitely have been guilty of that. I had no idea what the details were. And I think that's probably true for most consumers. Can you tell us about what the difference from a health perspective or an eating perspective, like what is the difference to consumers for grass-fed versus non? So I I like to use analogies to describe the difference. So if you were to eat a grass-fed, grass-finished, organic ribeye, for instance, versus a conventional grain-finished feedlot-based product, you definitely will notice a difference. And, And so analogy that I like to give is like an heirloom tomato or a Sam Adams kind of craft beer, which has a a deeper, richer flavor versus like your pumped up uh, tomatoes that look beautiful, but don't have a lot of flavor. They're just very juicy. Or your Budweiser, uh, again, which is is a more plain flavor. Interesting. So, I mean, that's a really interesting perspective from flavor. What about health? Is there any, are there health benefits? Uh, Absolutely. And so on on the the, the grass fed or really the pasture raised size, the animals are out on pasture walking for their entire lives versus uh, the, the cattle that are finished in feedlots with corn and corn is a grain. So if you, again, with my, uh, from an analogy standpoint, picture somebody that sits on their couch and eats potato chips and doesn't move uh, all day, uh, they get fat really quickly. And, and that's the goal of the conventional industry is to get the animals up to slaughter weight as fast as possible and build on not just muscle, uh, but fat as well. And so with your pasture raised cattle, uh, they're going to be leaner. So lower in total fat uh, and saturated fat as well. Uh, And then again, your more robust uh, flavors uh, from the the meat itself. So it sounds like it's a lot more expensive to raise them that way. Yeah, it is. And so it's almost that the way that we raise our cattle is the way it's always been done. Mm -hmm. And so the conventional industry is really subsidized by the U.S. government. Uh, So if you look at all the corn and the farm bill uh, goes back to raising grain across the the central portion of the, the country, all of that subsidized grain is then fed as your main commodity input into the conventional industry. And then when you add in the antibiotics and the growth hormones that accelerate, it's just, it's a much quicker process designed to minimize cost. Our supply chain is not designed to minimize cost. It's designed to to maximize the health of the animal, the planet and the consumer. And so there are different economics. So as we've grown bigger, we are reaching economies of scale and closing the gap between our organic grass finished product and the conventional product. And Mm -hmm. we'll never completely close that gap, um, but we are bringing that price down and that's allowing the the product to get out to more and more people across the country. How do you get, it seems like there's a probably quite a learning curve. How do you get people to understand the difference between what you're doing and what they're used to having and buying? I do see that as a central part of what Verde is about. So we certainly want to get product out into the consumer's mouths. And you know you can have all the, the best attributes in the, the world. If the product doesn't taste good, uh, the rest is boot. Uh, but I also, I think there's a, a core group. And so if you have 100 consumers, maybe it's 10% that really get into the details. And we want to spend more time educating them 
and having them be the, the thought leaders, whether that's social media influencers or just your everyday consumers. I think, you know, 90% of the people aren't going to truly understand all of the nuances and that's okay. And, and that's the point of our brand to represent all those values. And people are trying to make the right choice with their wallet and what the, the food that they're purchasing and bringing home and, and feeding their children. And we want people to feel comfortable that they're making the right choice with the Verde brand, even if they don't understand all the nuances involved. So do you feel like over the past year and a half during COVID, the awareness of what's healthy versus mass produced has gone up and changed for you guys? Are you seeing that? I know a lot of brands have, but I'm not sure it's, it's coming all the way to you. Yeah, I, I would say it, there's been a continual evolution, both at mm -hmm. the consumer level and at the customers, such as the, the retail or, or club category manager. And so that educational process, you know, again, I mentioned that I started the company 16 years ago. Yes. That has been a complete evolution. And you know, the, the customer that we sell to is traditionally buying conventional grain finished beef, not organic and grass fed. So even there's an educational process uh, during our sale process, in addition to the consumer side. The, the past year and a half has been a maelstrom, mm -hmm. <laughs> especially for, for everyone, uh, but particularly on the, the protein side. And last year in, in 2020, about a third of the U.S. slaughter capacity went offline due to COVID absences and just not enough labor uh, yeah. to, to uh, run the plants. And so at one point, you know, the shelves in the meat department were completely empty. empty. Um, and, and so <laughs> last year was our, our best year ever. We were up over 30%. And so I think a lot of that was just, we had meat. And if you had meat, you could sell it. But we also think it was a, a great opportunity to get our product into more yeah. distribution and expand our customer base, which we did. Have you been able to hold on to some of that? It, we have. And that was very deliberate last year, not only to support our core customers, which of course was the utmost importance, but to expand that distribution, we have maintained that. So can you talk a little bit about the brand itself? Because I don't think that, I mean, you and I touched on this a little bit, the end consumer, even the retailer, there's not a lot of branded meat, right? Except for, I mean, bacons and stuff like that, but there's not really a lot of branded meat. Like, I don't think people say I'm going to go buy a specific brand. They go to buy a specific cut or something. So how do you deal with that? And how do you start to create value around that for people who aren't used to it? Yeah. I mean, so again, go back to what is driving the, the commodity industry. It's typically the most volume at the lowest price with some yeah. level of quality driven by eating experience. And so if you look at the, the meat category, you have your raw single ingredient, ready to cook and ready to eat products. And, and when you get to the ready to eat, like hot dogs and sausages and bacon, uh, you definitely do see more brands. Yeah. And the closer you get to the raw single ingredient side, such as ground beef, steaks, roasts, there's less brands. Uh, you do have some such as Purdue chicken yeah. uh, and a, a few others. Uh, and so some brands have been able to uh, reach across and, and create value. But that said, there are certainly more private label or white label sales yeah. in the meat category than there are brands. But that's our goal. And, and we've done a, a great job over the last five years going from very low single digits 
to about a third of our sales as branded. And we intend to continue to increase the percentage of Verde brand over the next upcoming years. Talk about your challenges. I mean, it sounds like you're disrupting a category that hasn't had a lot of disruption maybe ever, but certainly not in a really long time, which is awesome. And I'm sure that comes with its own set of challenges as well. Can you talk about that a little bit? Lots and lots of challenges. So uh, <laughs> the challenges always get bigger uh, as you get bigger. They never yeah. get easier when you get bigger. And, and so we have a couple major things that we're working on today. I would say one from an operational standpoint and two from the commercial side. So first, from an operational standpoint, we continue to invest in hard assets and fixed infrastructure, including mm-hmm. our own processing facility. And so that, again, goes to economies of scale removing other players in the supply chain to try and drive out cost and and increase efficiency so that we can then pass that on to the consumer ultimately and drive even more demand for the product. On the other hand, we're also focused on building the brand and that is focused both on the customer side and the consumer side. Uh, Unless you have distribution, doesn't matter if all the consumers in the world want your product, they can't get it. So we have focused historically more on the customer. Mm -hmm. And as our distribution has grown, we're starting to focus more and more on the consumer today as well. So has it been hard to get the retailers to embrace a brand? Yes, yes, and yes. And and so I I think not just a brand, but organic and grass-fed beef. They're they're all, you know, when I started 15 years ago and walked in and said, hey, you know, I've got this great product, organic grass-fed beef, and they'd be like, mm, <laughs> no yeah, thanks. And, sure. and you, the, the meat buyer has traditionally been a butcher who has been in the role for 30, 40 plus years and, and is a diehard Midwestern grain-finished beef guy. Yeah. And this movement has really been driven by the consumer demanding uh, the, the, this, these types of attributes and pulling the retailer along. Yeah. And over the last several years, that uh, that push has continued to accelerate. Yeah. And I think you've also seen more turnover at the category management level. And so you're starting to get into, I'd say, more of my generation. Yeah. And with that, I think a better understanding of where the consumer is and more openness to uh, trying out uh, both organic and grass-fed uh, as that market continues to grow. And, and we're also proving the value of the brand to drive consumers uh, to to the the retail to the retailer yeah. and really the perimeter of the store, which is so important for the retailer. Um, I'm curious to know if the what they're calling the plant-based movement or people becoming more aware of um, eating less animal protein has affected you guys at all, or is it? I mean, because I could see it affecting you in a positive way, also, as people are talking about quality. And stuff, but I'm just curious about what your actual experience has been. So, the, I mean, the plant-based movement, while it's been around for a long time, it's obviously uh, accelerated yeah. uh, over the last couple of years. There, there's a lot of marketing, there's a lot of dollars behind it, yeah. and with that, there's a lot of attention from the media. I, I think it's probably surprising to most people that the sales of meat in the U.S. and globally continues to grow roughly at the, the rate of GDP growth. And so while plant-based has certainly grown, just like organic and grass-fed has grown, so is the, the total meat category. So it, they're still relatively small compared to 
you know, a multi, multi, multi-billion dollar parent industry. And that said, the, the, the drivers of the plant-based sector are the same drivers for the organic grass-fed sector. Concerned about animals, concerned about human health, concerned about health of the planet. And so I'm actually very supportive of the motivation of the consumers that are driving. And I think it's up to us to tell that story of why organic grass-fed pasture-raised beef is the right solution rather than, it's not really us versus plant-based, it's us versus the conventional meat industry. Yes, which I think is so interesting and such a good story. I mean, it's a really better story because I think people, as you said, there are many, many, many people that will never give up meat completely. And so getting them to a high, yeah. And so getting them to a higher quality and healthier way of having it and more planet friendly way seems like it's a really big opportunity. And then I also wonder, I mean, there's so many diets or lifestyle eating plans that, that are very, very high protein right now. So that must be affecting your business in a positive way. Yeah. Carbs out protein and even fat in. And I actually lost about 25 pounds over the last two years on a a keto diet. So high fat, medium protein, low carbs. Uh, I'm 47 now. I did my first half Ironman two years ago. Uh, I'm doing the Boston Marathon in October this year. And so I use our our own products as part of a a healthy lifestyle. Uh, It's not 100% just organic grass-fed beef, but I believe it, it's an important component to keeping the, the body healthy as well. Yeah, uh, I also amazing. just mentioned that when part of the reason that I even came into the sector is that I was diagnosed with ulcerative colitis about 20 plus years ago. And I found that when I ate the conventional beef, for some reason that the fat and just didn't sit well with me. And when I started eating the grass-fed beef, I could eat as much as I want, and it never bothered my GI system. And, and so it was really a, a personal story of how the, the product interacted with my own body that helped uh, me want to discover more uh, about the entire system. That's really interesting. Um, have you had anecdotally heard other people who have the same experience? Because that's really awesome, actually. Yeah, I, I hear a lot about people that have been diagnosed with cancer and their doctor doctors recommending clean, healthy diets. And other other folks with Crohn's or colitis uh, going in the same direction. So I do hear, you know, unfortunately, sometimes it takes major life-shifting events to, to force people and doing something new. Uh, but I, I definitely have heard multiple, multiple anecdotes uh, about that. That's really cool. I'm curious to know what you feel like some of your biggest successes have been so far. Like what made you feel like we, we got it, we made it, we're on the right path. <laughs> yeah. It's always on the right path as opposed to making it there. There's never like, Oh, we crossed the finish line. It's just like, we got to one finish line and, and then it just means that we can go that much further. Uh, but as a company, you know, we started, with nothing, with, with absolutely zero and uh, uh, an idea on a cocktail napkin or you know, sitting around a, a campfire with a, a glass of Malbec. And, and today we're approaching $100 million in sales. Uh, we sell at some of the, the largest retailers across the country. 
Uh, we're in Amazon Fresh nationally. We're in Costco. We're in BJ's, uh, Schnucks, Market Baskets, on uh, across the country. So some of the the largest and best retailers. And it's something as simple as just going to a store and seeing the product on the shelf or hearing uh, my, my son, who's 14, just came back from summer camp and he found out that some of his campmates eat our product on a regular basis. And, and so it, it's little, but it's not uh, just that, you know, everyday consumers from around the country now have access to this product. And again, what the product represents in terms of the high sourcing standards as well. That's exciting. That must be fun to hear from your yeah. own kids. Yeah. <laughs> what's your um? What's your next finish line? Uh, so we're we're starting, as I mentioned, from both the uh, the operational side and from the branded side or commercial side. We we continue to span expand our manufacturing operations. Uh, the demand over the last year was faster than we expected, so we continue to add more capacity and capabilities. Uh, to be able to meet our customer demand. And then from a commercial standpoint, we continue to expand our distribution. And we're starting to work uh, on the question that you asked earlier of how do we differentiate our brand? And we're uh, not quite at the point of publicly announcing all of the details yet, but we're working on a, a new brand strategy to differentiate both from private label and other brands to really make us stand out. And so I think over the next six to 12 months, we'll start to, to roll that out and maybe we come back again. That's exciting. Yes, I definitely would want to follow up and hear how that's going. Um, I have a question for you that I ask sometimes that I think is important for entrepreneurs who are listening. I'm sure there are times when you've gotten like, oh, this is hard, I don't know. What do you do to keep yourself going and stay inspired and excited? Yeah, it's always hard. Uh, so yeah. you know, a few days are easy. Uh, they're, they're way more hard days than, than easy days. And I, again, I don't think that that changes. It's just the, the size of the, the puzzle or the prize uh, hopefully gets bigger over time. And, and so for me, it's always rooted not on the money side, but on, on the, the mission and the, the vision for the company. And, and our overall vision is to transform the cattle industry from feedlot-based to pasture-based. And, and that's the big idea. And that's what really keeps me rooted and focused on, on the long-term. So I, I think of it as like the stock market, you know, it's up and down each day, yeah. but you got to look towards long-term and up and to the right and, and have that longer-term view. And as long as you're really driven by the long-term vision, then I think the, the rest, you know, hopefully should take care of itself. That's good advice. I think, yeah, you, it's hard to, to, sometimes you forget when you're stuck in the day-to-day -day and you're like, ah, no, I wasn't expecting that today. I'm sure that every day is filled with unexpected things. I mean, that's the, the life of an entrepreneur. Yeah, it's the nature of the beast uh, yeah. that, you know, we're trying to disrupt a, a multi-billion dollar category. Yeah. And there, there's no roadmap for it. And so we have both brought on outside investment last year for the first time of having outside private equity. We've also built a, a great board of directors with people that are very experienced, including the, the CEO of Johnsonville Sausage, uh, the former chief marketing officer of Kraft and Oscar Mayer Foods. And so we have great expertise and advice to help guide us on this path, but we also are disrupting and creating yeah. something new. So 
it, it takes a village. Uh, it takes a strong team. You know, just uh, my co-founder and I, who have been at this since the beginning, you know, we've spent a lot of time building the team and upgrading uh, across the board. To, it, it can't just be, you know, a few people. Uh, it really, you know, we're almost at 100 employees today and, you know, the, the strongest team that we've ever had. Amazing. Is there anything else you want to share that we haven't talked touched on that you're itching to say? So I just mentioned that I, I am in the process of publishing a book. Uh, oh, as cool. week, and actually, hopefully today, I, I hit the final button on the entire project that I've been working on diligently for eight months, but on and off for the, the past 16 years. And, and the book is about my uh, a coffee table travel memoir of a trip that I did prior to starting Verde and after I left Silicon Valley. And so it, it follows my travels around the world and really gives a lot of personal insights. And, and the theme of the book is called Emptying Your Cup. And, and it's a, a parable, a, a Buddhist parable about going out and having your cup so full that there's no room for anything else. And when I left Silicon Valley, I sold uh, my house, my car, all my possessions, quit my job and a, a fast-paced career uh, to go backpack. And at the wow. end, uh, came back to business school and, and I had the space and that propelled me to go to Argentina and then ultimately start Verde. So uh, it, it's been a, a full circle and a, a really rewarding project to complete. Well, that's inspiring. That might be the most inspiring thing I've actually ever heard. <laughs> that's so awesome. What's the name of the book? Uh, emptying your cup. Emptying your cup. Okay. Well, I am going to definitely get my hands on that. That's so cool. Congratulations. Yeah, we're going to do a Kickstarter campaign uh, that will be rolling out pretty shortly as well. For Amazing. That. That's really cool. Oh, that's inspiring. That gets me excited too. I love the idea of it too. I mean, I don't think that people take time to do that because it feels impossible to a lot of people, I'm sure. Yeah, and, and that's actually in my conclusion of the book that it always felt impossible for me. I wanted to mm -hmm. take a gap year after high school, but I had worked so hard in high school and I felt like I could never take the time off. Yeah. And then after finishing college, I also felt like, ah, I got to jump right into the, the working world. Yeah. And it wasn't until you know, I got into business school, deferred admission for a year that, that I took that gap year off and probably the best thing that I'd ever done. What made you make the switch from Silicon Valley? I'm curious about that to this, because that seems like a big shift. Yeah. So certainly if you look at it from high tech to beef, yeah. uh, you know, it, it seems like a, a non sequitur, um, but I'd always been interested both in environmental sustainability. Whenever I traveled and you asked me how the trip was, I always talked about food and I always wanted to do something entrepreneurial. And so when I started in Silicon Valley, I started at Intel as a semiconductor manufacturing engineer and went into product management. So a little bit more both business centric and creative, but back half of the product life cycle. Then I went to another uh, high tech company called Network Appliance and went to the front half of the product life cycle and created some new business models there and just really enjoyed that. Also going from large company to medium sized company. And skipping, well, you know, I had a summer internship during business school and then something really entrepreneurial. So it was from large to medium to small to startup and then wow. from engineer to business to really forefront and entrepreneurial. So it, it was definitely a path. 
And then, you know, there certainly wasn't an intention going to business school to focus on organic grass-fed beef. You know, it was just one of those trips where I, I loved the product. And, and it was the aha moment was when I came back to the U.S., I looked for, at the time, Argentinian beef or grass-fed beef at Costco, couldn't find it, uh, went to a steakhouse, paid a lot of money, had a bad steak. Uh, this was in Boston, couldn't, eh, and thought, well, I just had this amazing beef from South America that was really cheap, and maybe I could bring it back and start to think about the, the macro trends in the U.S. and my own personal interests and how those could connect, and then... Yeah. The rest is history. There you go. You were looking for something and you couldn't find it. So you created it. That's right. Beautiful stuff. That's amazing. Well, congratulations on all your success. It is an incredibly great story. Very inspiring. And I'm super excited about your book. I cannot wait to read it. I think that's such a cool thing that you did. And I hope that, you know, I think it's hard for people to think about things like that, but it, I know how important they are. I mean, I do a lot of work in things like that too. I mean, I've never taken a year, but certainly super important and obviously life-changing for you. So that's really cool. Yeah, absolutely. It was, uh, it was the, the trip was amazing and getting to relive the experience almost 20 years later uh, yeah. was equally amazing for me. But what was actually interesting was as I was going through the process of editing the book and putting it all together and sharing it with different people, especially during COVID, yeah, that people were living vicariously as everyone was stuck in their houses and couldn't go anywhere. Yeah. And then reading about these stories that happened in 20 countries uh, around the world and, and trying to escape, you know, from whatever yeah. confinement they had. And, and there's so much of a, obviously a physical <laughs> entrapment, but there's also a, a mental side as mm -hmm. well. And, and both are equally important. Yeah. Cool. Well, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. I love this interview. There's so much good stuff in here, so much good advice. And I'm sure that all of my listeners are going to love it too. Um, and we'll follow up once your book is out and we'll add that to the post when we make it. That's great. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, thank you.